CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara communities through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2022 to help keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And as you can see, uh, you may be confused as to which panel to look at. Um, we have the Jonah Bronstein lookalike, Eric Wood, joining us. Uh, Eric, uh, the former Buffalo Bills captain and center. I always like to say captain first, because you're also a, you also were a guard. But I always like to I always like to say captain and center first. I'm guessing that was uh, that was a source of pride for you, right, Eric? It definitely was. And for me personally, I mean, I wasn't even a captain on my high school football team. So to be a captain of an NFL football team, like that meant a lot to me. And as an offensive lineman, there's only so many like taglines you can possibly get. And you know what? Being voted captain when it's voted on by your teammates and coaches. Like that means a lot to you. There's, you know, I, I made one Pro Bowl and that tagline gets tagged all the time. But, you know, there's there's some politics and whatever else in being a Pro Bowler, being a captain of a football team, especially when you're an offensive lineman and not a quarterback, is genuinely something you purely earned. And I'm not taking a shot at any Bills players. I've just seen around the league that, you know, maybe, you know, a player comes to a team or you make a rookie a captain because he's a quarterback and you want him to be the leader of the team. Right. And those stars look good on the patch on the Jersey. Right. And you know what they do. And it still irks me. Like I absolutely love Rex Ryan, love talking to him and catching up with him still, <laughs> but we had game captains. I should have the gold patch. I was a captain for the years prior to him. I think three years prior and two all the years, years after two years prior and one after. So I graduated with, I graduated the NFL with three stars, but it should have been that solid gold one. And nowadays, the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominees get the big, um, or I guess maybe it's just the winners get the right emblem on their jersey. Winners. Like that would have been cool too, but it's all good. <laughs> we're, we're, there's no grudges being held or right. short memory on all this stuff. Um. Eric is joining us uh, to talk about his book, uh, which came out on October 12th, and it's called Tackle What's Next, Own Your Story, Stack Wins, Achieve Your Goals in Business and Life. It is available at, uh, well, wherever books are sold, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, you name it. Uh, when I, uh, I Googled it a few days ago, uh, one of the top things was Target comes back. Did you ever think that your products would be for sale at a Target? Uh, when you were growing up in uh, suburban Cincinnati? No, I didn't. And I, I don't know what I would have assumed would have been for sale either. I don't know that it would have been a book. I wasn't into reading much until maybe about midway through my NFL career when then you're not ever forced to read anything. Like in college, when you're forced to read something or in high school or growing up, it was to do everything you could but read the book. 
but still pass the test or get a good grade on the test. And then I found some things I was interested in, in a lot of it, personal development writing, uh, hence being why I chose to write a book with personal development nature to it. Um, but no, I, I, I wouldn't have envisioned that. I don't want to give away the book because I want people to buy the book, but I know that a big part of the inspiration for your post-retirement career was how you retired, why you retired. Um, is there a, is there a message to give in terms of turning such heartbreak into uh, inspiration to launch you through the next phase of your career? And uh, I guess on a, on a slightly different note, allow you to lose a lot of weight. Well, let's start off like this one, the, the story of my career ending is detailed in the book, but we really could have just referenced the article that you wrote when you drove to Louisville yourself, which I still will never forget. And I appreciate you chronicling that in kind of taking this time of obscurity for me when I was out of the spotlight completely and really couldn't even comment on what was going on at the time because of how that would impact contract and money and everything else. And so I, I do appreciate uh, the article that you came to Louisville to make sure that it was written exactly right. That that meant a lot to me. And maybe we should have just, just used that uh, for that kind of first chapter of the book, talking about the pivot point of my career. But that being said, I really miss the Kingfish hush puppies. That's really the reason I went. It had been several years since I'd eaten at Kingfish. And I it, that was the real reason. Yeah, I respect you that. just happen to live in the area. That's fine. Well, I still appreciate it. You still took the time to do it. I did. No. But but that being said, you know, I should have told I you about my drive back because there was an accident on uh, I'm sorry, the interstate. Is it 65 that goes through Kentucky mostly to up to yep. Cincinnati? And GPS took me through. I don't need to tell you the freaking hills. Uh, and uh, I wore the hell out of my brakes and my steering column. And uh, anyways, but driving yep. through the Kentucky hills was uh, an experience. I guarantee it. Now you sound like my mom and stepdad talking about the traffic every time they leave here. I'm like, I, I never have the issue when I'm driving up to Cincinnati, but every time you guys do, I, I never hear the end of it. That being said, back to the book for a second. Um, the way my career ended, I had just signed a contract extension before the previous season. I had no intentions of retiring anytime soon. I love professional football and really the direction of the bills. And so I re-signed with the bills there's really no way I would have retired at any point of this Josh Allen era so far, maybe if my body completely shut down on me, but I'm such a, an eternal optimist that every year would have been another Super Bowl year. So how am I going to walk away now? We're going to win the Super Bowl next year. And so that being said, I plan on still being a part of the Bills to this day. I was extended to be whatever quarterback we drafted in the first rounds, mentor, center, veteran center in the middle. And so I really had no plan of transition outside of football. I got very fortunate that guys like yourself and many other media members reached out and said, hey, anything I can ever do for you, please let me know. And so I transitioned into media, also started a podcast where I started picking people's brains and how you transition successfully in life. And that's not necessarily to say that I'm trying to out earn financially my playing career. It's finding success in that next chapter of life. I feel like so many people because of COVID or a loss of a loved one or a change of identity out there 
are at a transition point in life or you will be at a transition point in life and this book can serve you and the the transition point also doesn't have to be some big life altering event it can simply just being what i like to say making your next chapter in life better than your current one and being intentional about it staring at you jonah I actually thought your camera froze because you weren't no, changing your facial I was, I was waiting for you to ask a follow-up question. Well, I did want to ask Eric about uh, writing the, the process of writing the book and also the process of getting Sean McDermott to write the foreword. How did that come about? What do you think about what he wrote uh, for you in this book? So it was a long process. I feel like if I did another book, I could do it in about six months. This one took me about 18 months. A lot of editing. Um, you know, it just took a while to outline it, get all the stories with the podcast guest snippets or mentors or whoever it may be that poured into each and every chapter. It took a while to compile. I think I could do it a lot quicker the next time, but that's like anything in life. You learn as you go. As far as Sean McDermott in the foreword, honestly, he blew me away with his words. Uh, I didn't know exactly how Sean would receive doing a forward. To my knowledge, he's never done anything like that before. And so uh, for him to be willing to do it meant a lot to me and to put the time and attention to detail does not surprise me. If he's going to commit to something, you guys know Sean McDermott well enough at this point, he's all in on no matter what he does, whether that's coaching or it's writing a foreword for a radio analyst who's now uh, writing a book. But it, it meant a lot to me, the words that he said in the book. Yes, it helps that Sean McDermott's the head coach of the Bills, one of the most popular teams in the NFL who is very popular to much of the audience that will be buying this book. That's part of the reason I asked Sean. The main reason I asked Sean is a lot of the leadership principles that I saw in Sean are things that I wanted to emulate in my next chapter of life. And I learned from him. We stayed in contact and we talk most weeks for the pregame show and whether it's 20 minutes before or after if if he's ever late for the media on a Friday, you can you guys can blame me because I'm right before you guys. But that being said, the way he's poured into me over the years, it meant a lot to me that he took the time to do the forward. And Sean's a, a bit of a reader, especially of books maybe similar to the to the theme of this book, self-help type, uh, stoic philosophy type literature. Yeah, you're exactly right. The first time I ever walked into Sean McDermott's office, he had a John Gordon book behind him. And I had read the same one and I started looking along the shelf. And a lot of the books I had read as well that were on the shelf behind him, John Gordon uh, wrote an endorsement for this book. He's become a friend of mine. He connected me with the publishing company. A lot of full circle moments when writing this book. But yes, Sean also is familiar with the space that I was writing the book as well. So I was very comfortable that he would know what I was kind of looking forward in the forward. And now that we know that he's such a good writer, maybe we can have him give written statements at the press conferences instead of some of the non-statements we give when we ask. No, him no, 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 no. Don't, don't give him any ideas because he'll do that. And then we won't get to ask him any questions. He'll just say, these were the things that I wanted to say. And I'm going to imagine you would have asked me about this. Here you go. Here's a pool report. You guys can just use these quotes and then we'll never hear from him again. That's probably safe. And, uh, I will say this, and and I'll ask you guys both this. Okay, so he doesn't give you guys a ton, but at times he's a little bit more jovial and whatnot. But I always feel like, and maybe you can say differently, but the way he addresses people by their first names and at least acknowledges you, does that make you feel 
a little warm and bubbly inside, or is it simply like he's doing that so that you don't get on him about the lack of answer? It's a technique, and I think that both he and Brandon Bean have been coached to do that by Derek Boyko, the the head of uh, media relations or communications with the Bills. You notice that they both do it. I don't think that's an accident. I think that is a it's a disarming kind of mechanism. But I'll tell you who does not like that are the electronic media, because when they want to use a quote from Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean, it's got the other person's name in it. And they don't like you acknowledging maybe the competition or, or stopping your it, it ruins the quote for for the broadcast. We can just take it out uh, when right. we're running, you know. Uh, but I also do notice that there are some people in the local broadcast media that kind of get off on it and make sure that they use that quote. So if you ask the question, he is, he's, you know, uh, I'm sorry for lack of a better phrase. I know you're a, you're a, you're a religious man, but he's fluffing uh, the person who's a- asking the question. And so that way you can then use that answer right there in your, in your sports cast. And you can probably feel like, Hey, the coach, coach acknowledges me. Yeah, I, so there's I some, know. I guess a little bit of it, I guess, but I view it as he's, he's working me a little bit. Yeah. And, and I could see that, but I, I do feel like, especially when it's someone newer to the media, like at least he took the time to know, like someone, especially someone new's name. And, yes. and I, I don't know. I, I, I see it from a sense because I know, and you guys know too, what all they have going on prior to that. A lot of it's rinse and repeat. You know, I catch Sean on the pregame interview that we record for Sunday right after he's on with WGR and right before he's going in with you guys, and he's answering the questions oftentimes, even just that day for the third time in a row, much less what other national media he has. Like, at least he's saying someone's name, but I was interested to hear your opinion on that. Yeah, I also like this part too, though. I guess so. I guess I have a, a my answers all over the place. I can see both sides of it. I think it works. I think it's effective um, in, in general, but there's also the way that you could use it to make sure that the people out there who are listening, whether it be a live news conference or something like that, if they don't like the question, they can, it's actually kind of saying, making sure that everybody out there knows who asked it. Right. Like when Jay Skursky kept asking him about the punter the one week and he's like, yeah, yes, Jay. Yes. I wish I had a better answer for you, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> poor Jay. Uh, yeah, I got one of those from Brandon Bean at the news conference at, uh, in the facility. I got a, I got a very stern Tim, uh, as I asked a question about what the team knew and when they knew it or whatever. So, uh, yeah. And I, you know, made sure I kept eye contact and nodded my head and, you know, didn't go, you know, curl up into a fetal position. Um, what did, well, let's stay on this topic for a little bit, Eric, because it has been a big part of your, uh, your journey uh, from the NFL to broadcaster. And you've also done it on the national level doing college games. I know you're not doing that anymore, but what have you learned about the media that maybe you wish you knew while you were still playing or that somebody could have come in and held a seminar or something and, and taught you a thing or two? Man, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I can think back to like little tiny things that I've learned over the years. I did, sidelines i was a field analyst not a sideline reporter for espn uh apparently there's a distinction but to some 
directors, there's not a distinction. Uh, my mic was supposed to be open, but there were weeks that it was not open during, during the game. I remember doing my first post-game interview. This is pre-COVID. You could put your arm around the coach. Dave Dorn, I had known for a little while, I guess. And I put my arm around him. He's excited. He put his arm around me after the game. We're facing the camera, and I asked him a few questions. Felt like it went really well, as well as it could for my first ever post-game interview. And the director said, hey, Eric, next time, no big deal. We never even told you. But face the coach to the camera, not yourself. We will put you in the shot if we want you in there. And it's just like I've learned so many little nuances like that, learning the broadcast that you learn from experience over time. You know, broadcast media is is a lot of work, honestly, especially when you're doing two games a weekend like I was for a while trying to learn those rosters. The Bills gig is more fun to me than it is work, especially once you learn the team. And I'm familiar with so many guys in the NFL. But advice that I would give to someone, and I actually got this advice as well, was don't think you could just take your playing experience to the booth or to a studio appearance and think that's going to work because you'll make it you'll make a fool of yourself. Like be research. Don't be the, well, when I played, this was our mindset. Well, you gave them nothing. Like there's times where that's warranted, but I do a round table every week with Sal and Chris Brown before the games. And I will, I will purposely avoid any of their things that they've written or put out throughout the week up until that point, or at least the previous day or two, so that I'm, that I'm trying to find information that they might not have. And if they do have it, that's fine, but I'm not reading their stuff. Like, I want to bring something to the table where they're like, wow, where'd you pick that up, Eric? And so that being said, it's a lot of work. I knew it would be. Um, you know, we wrote that, I say we wrote it. We worked together on the athletic column that year. And, you know, I've gotten- You wrote of, it. Yeah, I've gotten to see like, the different elements of each piece of it. And they all have different nuances. I will say this. Here's one thing I've, I've learned. I cannot imagine being the radio analyst for the bills during the playoff drought, like especially kind of some of the middle of it, like in go, you know, it's, it's easy. We sound good every week because the bills are so good. And even when they, when they lose, there's so much hope. I can't imagine calling meaningless games from week 15 on every week. Um, so Here's I, another I, thing, just Eric, regarding that too, you are going to be when this current generation that's really in the wheelhouse of, you know, tailgating and all, you know, the, let's say from my son's age, he's in high school to 30 or whatever, you are going to, your voice is going to be revered regardless of how good you were. And people are going to think back. It was like, remember when Eric Wood was the color analyst? Man, he was freaking awesome. And yeah, people are just going to remember that because the Bills made them happy. You make yeah. them happy as part. You're the conduit to make them happy. Yeah. And I'll say this, as far as a broadcast goes, as an analyst, you're at the mercy of the play-by-play guy. If he stinks or if he's not confident or if he knows the point he, that's going to be really good on air and he steals it every time, you're not going to be very good as an analyst. John Murphy knows what is going to be best to be said and just tease me up for it. Now, John's not coaching or he's not, he's not auditioning for his next role. He's got his dream job at this point. And so he can let me be successful and, and just, you know, 
I give him the credit in something like this, but everyone would say, man, that's a really good point that Eric made. But Murph, in the TV timeout, we're talking, hey, you know, let's talk about that last third down, what the defense did. Like Murph could tell you, he knows football well enough, but he lets me do it. And so to answer your question, I wish I had like one solid thing that like, wow, this blew my mind. Other than maybe the fact that it would not be very fun to cover one team that was not good. You mentioned the difficulties of maybe broadcasting. I just want to, Joan, I'm sorry. I just want to mention this one thing because it comes up in conversation with Eric and I a lot, especially when we are on uh, doing a a show together. And I know that Joan has been there. We always talk about the headline uh, that I wrote. And there's the excuse that you could always give is that the writers don't write the headlines. But when I was at ESPN, I wrote my headlines and it torqued Eric for a long time. Uh, A couple months. I will say for my years, I think you, I think after a while you begin to tolerate it and I will show it. It's not, maybe I'll bring, I'll be able to bring it up here when, when we get to the next question and then I'll, I'll actually be able to phrase it, but it had something to do. You got into a fight with Aaron Maven. I think it was, or somebody no, This was later. It was uh, Brian Johnson. I think Brian John. Okay. See, so you do, you remember it better than I do. And I said something about murderous rage and, Eric, I think took it literally. I was trying to have fun with it. And that is the, what comes out of covering a team that doesn't win. That's right. Like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have fun with this or have something interesting. And I think Eric was like, I did not want to kill the man. <laughs> right. And it turned into wow. a thing. And, and honestly, it wasn't the murderous rage as much as it was the quote that was like asterisked out. Like I'm going to effing kill you. Oh, like, I think that I was more worried about that. I like, see getting back to mom and dad. Uh, yeah. Maybe exactly. you don't want your, I go back your to my aunt and I, have, I have all these texts and then I go to these hospital visits and that's the only thing they want to talk about. And it's, oh, you know, geez. and look, you said earlier, I'm a religious person. I am a spiritual man. I'm a man of faith and, but I am the furthest thing from perfect you could ever meet. And you, you you correctly quoted me there, and there were times where you would have struggled to mic me up for a Bills game. There was enough F-bombs. But that being <laughs> said, I just didn't want it in print. I'm going to try to find it here, and just so that way we I can I can throw myself on your mercy for one final time here. Um, but maybe that was also like a how the sausage gets made type thing about the media. You know, we're, we're looking, we're, sometimes we're desperate for to, to, to share something interesting. And the funny thing is the only reason you knew I was upset about it was because I just started being short with you and someone brought it up one time and I was like, well, I, I just feel like I treated you guys really well for a long time. And then, you know, I drop an F-bomb on a football field or I'm in a murderous rage <laughs> and now the headlines are completely turned against me. And I'm like, look, I just try to be really respectful for you guys. I understand that. Your job is not very fun covering us all the time. I just felt like we had a better relationship than that. And that's where I'm at right now. Understood. If I was, it's funny, like you got to be really careful about your relationship with the media, but like, I mean, how smart would it be for like an offensive lineman to say like after the season, everything's, you know, a couple of days, if you're hanging around in Buffalo after the season, like, Hey, do y'all want to go grab a beer? I'd like to just like get to know you guys a little bit off the record completely. Like probably would go a long way to. Absolutely. Making sure that everything was in your favor. And 
you know, the media controls so much and no fan opinion and all that doesn't get you on a team. It doesn't make you a pro bowl, but it can make you a little bit harder to cut when everyone loves you. That's true. And I think it makes, uh, you get a longer runway. And I think that you did, you got that. Maybe not in that instance. I was with the Buffalo news at the time. Uh, when it was, I wasn't at ESPN. I was writing it for a blog, but I've, I'm getting closer to finding it. Um, but um, you get a longer runway, you know, a Lorenzo Alexander who stood up after every loss, Kyle Williams, those guys. Uh, yeah. I mean, you get, you get this built into you and I don't think it's a, a tactic for them. Like, I don't think it's uh, they weren't trying to work us, you know, to use uh, the phrase that I used earlier. Um, yeah, it, it just, it, it, and it also, it, it's the fans. It's not just the media treating you that way. The fans over time see that this, this is a stand-up guy, literally, uh, after a game that he's going to, he's not going to hide, um, like a LaShawn McCoy did, or, you know, there, and, and I guess there's other guys I could name or you know, Chris Kelsey, you know, like there are people who maybe weren't superstars, but the fans respected because they took the bullets and, um, I, I just want to mention the one uh, here's where we were worked one time. I wasn't a part of it, but it's, it's a famous story that John Warrow likes to tell um, that Doug Marone came into the media room one day and said, Hey guys, let's all go over to the big tree and have a beer. And they all ordered, you know, some chicken fingers or whatever. And they sat down at the bar at the big tree and across the ticker bills trade Sammy Watkins. Now he had to have known that the bills were trading Sammy Watkins. And he tried to play it off as I'm being a nice guy. And then when the trade happened, half of them had to get up and leave and go work and leave their beer and their wings that they just ordered. And he was like, well, I didn't know anything about it. So, wow. <laughs> that's, that's the other side of it. Yeah. yeah. That's always, that's a good, that's one of my favorite Marone stories. Wasn't Sammy, he was always trying to work us. Was Sammy traded by Marone or was that McDermott? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Trader. Stevie Johnson. Stevie Johnson, oh, okay, not Sam, Stevie Johnson trade. My, I'm sorry. Gotcha. I'm getting all kinds of things haywire here. Um, Jonah, I'm sorry. I did cut you off. Not only did you cut me off, but you asked my question. But I did okay. want to well, uh, get – well, go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. Well, real quick, I was just going to say, one thing I've had to navigate is, like, people are like, is it hard to not be negative or, or to give negative criticism of a current player or maybe a friend of yours? I'm like, well – I'm not like ever personally attacking anybody. If someone jumps off sides, I'm not going to say, you know, look at that idiot out there. I'm going to say, man, this is a, that's a really crucial situation to make a penalty like that. That makes this third and that third and two becomes really difficult now at third and seven, you know, that's not a personal attack on somebody, but one thing I have had, one thing that was difficult to with me early on. And I think people understand me now, like I'm never going to break a story. If you tell me something at dinner the night before a game or a couple days before the game or after a game, I will never break that story. Like, and it took me a while where people would be like, is this Eric, the media person, or are you just here as a buddy? It took them a while to understand that, like, you can trust me. You can talk to me like you always have, and I'm never going to break the story. And even talking to like coaches that I had, I'll tell them like, look, before a preseason game, if we're cutting up, if you talk really good about a player, I might say Chad Hall thinks Isaiah Hodgins is having a very good training camp, which happened this year. But if Chad said, hey, this guy's really struggling, I would never say that on air. I would never say, well, 
Chad Hall said this, this guy was really struggling out there. Like that would be breaking trust. And so that's something that like, I, I hate's an issue, but I'll have to preface some conversations like, look, like I'll never repeat any of this. Like, let's have some fun. Right. Right. I I'm curious to know. And I guess I, maybe I would have asked you this if we were able to connect, but when you were doing your fundraisers that week is when I reached out to uh, ask you about the six, three game, which I wrote about a couple of weeks ago as one of the worst pieces of football ever played. Uh, so if you were calling that game and the Buffalo bills uh, commit their ninth false start of the game at home, uh, what, what would you then, uh, would you have also called, just mentioned that as unfortunate? You know what I honestly would have done because our pair, well, assuming the parabolic mics were as good as they are now, I would be trying to figure out like what is going on for that many false starts. Like, are they mixing up the cadence too bad because they have a really good pass rusher and now you're confusing the offense. Is it a timing issue with the at home? No less. Yeah. So is it, is it, you know, was Trent Edwards out of rhythm that game to where, you know, Green 80, green 80, so not, or green 80. Okay, now Trent wants to let the defense come down and see what they're doing, and then he holds the count. We jump off sides when he never should have held it. And so I would be trying to analyze that based upon the – I would be trying to look for the why. Why are they jumping off sides? Are they afraid of Sean Rogers, who was playing nose guard for them, and they're flinching at him? Are they worried about speed off the edge, or is it blitzers, or is it the quarterback, or is it really unintelligent offensive linemen? Every offensive lineman and Kirk Chambers, who came in late in the third quarter, had a penalty. However, Eric Woods was declined. So you, uh, you were the only one not dinged uh, in the game. You committed a penalty, but you didn't give up any yards. Uh, I found the story. Let's go uh, down memory lane here. Uh, the headline in the Buffalo News on uh, August 20, 2014 says, Bill's training camp melee sends Eric Wood into murderous rage. By Tim Graham, I'm owning this. Buffalo Bills center Eric Wood's helmet had been ripped off and a couple of punches delivered into his face. A full-scale brawl erupted, and in the mass of bodies, Wood screamed he would murder the rookie who did it. <laughs> toward, toward the end of this morning's practice at St. John Fisher College, undrafted rookie defensive end Brian Johnson locked up with Wood after a goal-line drill. Running back Fred Jackson had slithered into the end zone. The play was over, but the battle was not. Before the fight could be broken up, tight end Scott Chandler had taken Johnson to the ground. Chandler's helmet also was torn off. An incensed Wood marched toward Johnson and yelled, I'll effing kill you. All right. For the record. Yeah. I mean, the murder. I think that's well written. Uh, It's well written by a, by a, by a, a veteran boxing reporter, by the way. Um. 21 days in pads and counting. Bill's defensive end, Jerry Hughes, bellowed with glee. I love it. That's what happens, baby. Bill's coach, Doug Marone, wasn't amused. It's not part of the game, Doug Marone said. Sorry. Doug, Doug was not a fan of my temper, which I actually give Doug Marone credit in the book for um, taking some of my temper out of my game, which needed to go. It did. And, it's, and, and he's told me early on, he said, if you're going to be a captain of this team, the helmet throwing, the fighting every practice, like that's got to end now because you're a leader. And we see you that way. But I was not a captain yet to that point in my career, I don't think. And so he 
he spoke some words of wisdom in me, you know, say what you want about Doug as a coach and our record and him quitting and ended up down in Jacksonville and all that. But that impacted my career and my trajectory. He was, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm only about to say things that have been said to me about Doug Marone, because as a reporter, that's the best I can do. I'm not in those meeting rooms. I mean, I have my opinions about my personal interactions with Doug Marone. I found him to be a phony. Uh, I found him to be full of bluster. Uh, but as a coach, he apparently had some value. I mean, he was, he's been wanted. He was a hot ticket. Although I think some of that has to do with who your agent is uh, in the various hiring cycles. But I just recall when Doug Marone be started to become a big thing. I'd been an NFL reporter for probably 10 years at that point. And I'm thinking, well, how come I've never heard of this guy? But he was all of a sudden people were fighting over him uh, to be their, their next head coach. I mean, I was, yeah, it was pretty wild. You know, you go eight and four at Syracuse and now you're the head coach of an NFL organization. Just kind of wild to me that, you know, and, and there was a lot of, you know, he, he signed a smart contract, not knowing what the ownership situation was. That's probably part of the reason it was not as heavily sought after to take that job in Buffalo, considering there's only 32 NFL jobs. You know, you could say what you want about our organization at the time. That's that's a lifelong goal for so many coaches in the industry. But when there's unrest in the organization and you have an owner that's on his deathbed, then that could be a slippery situation quick. You know, I have no idea how this is all going to shake out. I'm going to move my family and 20 other families on staff to a city. The owner could pass. Someone else comes in and fire us all immediately. That's not something everyone's willing to sign up for. Doug took a chance. And I just know when you leave, the it's been proven time and time again. When you think you're getting over on one NFL organization, the rest of them buy in. They band together pretty quickly. Right. I'm surprised he got another shot to be a head coach. Did he quit on the Bills? To my knowledge. Meaning, no, not to your not like to your feeling, because technically he took a he exercised a clause in his contract. You know, he legally left. He didn't just but did he quit? The, the yeah. Q word. I mean, everything that goes in with the word. Of no, I'll, I'll say this. I think he thought I don't think he thought he was quitting on the bills. I thought he was leaving for I think he thought he was leaving for his hometown team of the, Jets. the Jets job, which and, blew up in his face and the media. And and that's where I'm saying, if you right. think you're getting over on one organization. If you don't right. think there was a call around saying, hey, you can't let him do that to the bills and then take that job. Mr. Wilson's been one of the instrumental parts of this league for so long, you can't let them do that to the bills. Right. But that's, uh, that's without any insider info. I'm just assuming that's what happened because it seemed like he was right in line to take that job. And for what, I mean, we missed the playoffs by a game, both years. We were close. Right. Who is uh, the Buffalo bills best offensive lineman to this point, Eric? Um, you know, Dion's got the hardest job and he plays at a high level. Mitch Morris has looked outstanding to me when he's been in there. So either one of them. And, uh, who uh, is, uh, is it a tricky position for me to ask you who's been a disappointment? Mm. No, or if anybody has been. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. 
Roger Saffold struggled in pass protection this year, but he missed so much of training camp, new organization, a team that throws the ball all the time and teams know it's a pass most of the time. That could be a tough situation, but I would, I wouldn't call him a disappointment. Ryan Bates could be in the exact same category. It's tough to pass protect a guard when defensive line knows it's a pass almost every single play. And the same could be said about the right tackle position between Spencer Brown and Questenberry. At times, they've struggled in, in pass protection. But also, I believe when you're, you know, we, we could talk about who's disappointed along the offensive line, but I believe in Josh Allen's dropbacks this year, he has the least amount of pressure percentage from the coming from the five offensive linemen, not uh, counting blitzes. Right. And can you say uh, anything about the team is disappointing with the start that they've had, except for maybe, uh, you know, the second half in Miami and some of the hydration issues that led to that loss. Man, it's, it's tough to find things to complain about this Bills team. You can complain all you want about the run game with the running backs, but it's really hard in the NFL to be really good at the run and really good at the pass. It takes a lot of continuity. It takes a dedication to the run game for that run game to really show up in the fourth quarter, and that's not how you score consistently over 30 points every week like the Bills do. Um, you know, the injuries are disappointing, but it's not necessarily something that could have been – prevented to start the season um defensively they're so good I mean I, I don't know what necessarily would be disappointing you could say well they gave up 300 yards to Pickett and Mahomes back to back and you win both of those games like I don't know it's it's hard to find egregious things with this Bills team you know right now you're in the position just kind of looking at luxuries like can we get more explosive at punt returns you know can we makes up some yards there. I, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe an emerging number three receiver. We all assume to be Dawson Knox, who took over kind of Gabe Dave or sorry, uh, Cole Beasley's catches. His production hasn't quite been there. Mackenzie's had some inconsistency. Everyone loves Shakir, but is he ready to step into that number three role? I don't know that Hodgins is quite explosive enough to like really want to put him out there all the time at this point. You're really cherry picking here. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, the, the Bills' strengths are obvious, but their lack of weaknesses is probably a big part of why they're so good this season. Yeah, and and man, their in-game adjustments have been great too. I mean, you talk about giving up 17 total points in the second half this entire season. Ten of those come at Kansas City. and now, I really love the resilience of the Bills in that Kansas City game. You start off the game and you score three points, but you're marching up and down the field. So Spagnola says, screw it. I'm just going to bring the house. What do I have to lose? Well, the Bills are still calling plays that they think they can check, but now no one can hear at the line of scrimmage. Now you're snapping the ball at the end of the play clock every time. And, it, and Josh Allen goes 0 for 7 on his next seven throws. And they make a couple adjustments, and he goes 13 for 13 on his next 13 throws. Like, to me, that's good football, and that's what winning teams do. And you call it winning ugly, but, man, when you beat the second-best team in the NFL at their place, it feels pretty good afterwards. Would you have expected a bigger drop-off in the secondary with Micah Hyde out than what we've seen? Yeah. I would have. That's that's a credit to the pass rush. That's a credit to everyone else on defense, maybe the scheme as well. 
but yeah, I mean, when, when you're talking about Micah Hyde being out, but not necessarily saying, okay, now you have Tredavious White who can lock down one side of the field. You can kind of help. It's like, it's like offensive linemen. It's really easy to cover up one inexperienced guy or, you know, one guy that's struggling, but if you have a few of them, now it's time to get exposed. You know, it's been impressive to me. I, and I would have just assumed it would have been Jaquan Johnson. I would have assumed four years in the system, he's been quick to be the fill-in guy, and he would always fill in for Micah Hyde. Well, when they had Poyer come back, they had DeMar Hamlin come in, and I like how they use DeMar Hamlin. Like, they bring him on blitzes a lot more. They're more aggressive with him. And, you know, you're never going to get, like, a real answer of what the differentiator is there. But I would love to hear Leslie Frazier say, this is exactly why we trust DeMar Hamlin to be in there. Is it Jaquan so good on special teams? We want him to be there and we want him to back up both spots because I would just love to hear the perfect explanation from him. Sounds like a good question for Friday. Murph's doing the interview this week. Oh, well, send him a note. We'll do. Um, last question for me here, Eric, unless you want to talk about how many times you've been uh, um, confused for, for Jonah Bronstein while out in public. Because it happens to me when I'm with Jonah, people people will make the reference. Kevin I've never seen him like... sign an Eric Wood autograph. I don't think he takes it that far. Dude, you should. You absolutely should. And the hair, the hair is perfect. I might need to like get the side shorter, like you're rocking. <laughs> the mullet. Let me see the side. Did... Oh yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> what did we learn about the Bills uh, this past weekend by watching the rest of the league? You can take for granted how good they are quickly. You know, you watch it each and every week. We saw it, we've seen it the last couple of years. You can really take for granted how good they are. And, you know, Josh is still top five in so many statistical categories with everyone playing an extra game uh, on him. But I, th I think you could take, take for granted that, you know, the NFC is so hard to figure out this year. Like who's good, who's bad. You know, San Francisco looks so good. And they're three and four. And are they that much worse? Or wh where do they stack up against the Giants? You know, to me, that's the NFC figuring that out. Like putting together an NFC power rankings right now would be really difficult for me to do. The AFC seems pretty top heavy with the Bills and Kansas City. The Bills have already beaten the best team in every other division. Um, wow. which is impressive. Um, man, what, what do you, I mean, would you have ever guessed that Packers at bills would be an 11 and a half point spread this week? <laughs> no, no. And I, I mean, and my picks don't count, uh, but I think the bills can win by 20. Uh, and I think my score reflects that for the channel Four. you know, the pregame predictions. I, I watched that Packers game, um, and I was not impressed even by Aaron Rodgers. And even you, you'd think with a Hall of Fame player like that, two-time MVP or however many MVPs he's won, the last two, um, you, see a, you see a flash or a spark. And you did maybe on that last touchdown, the, the touchdown toss to, uh, to Jones uh, out of the backfield. And it's like, okay, that looked like the Packers. But that was one play out of what, 60? And uh, they just don't have it. And uh, again, 
those are dangerous teams sometimes, but that was a sexy matchup. When that schedule came out, Sunday night football, Rodgers versus Allen, uh, and now it seems a, like a bit of a clunker. But maybe that's to your point about taking these guys for granted. Don't you know, not necessarily take them for granted or, or just assume. Uh, Eric, yeah, I just wanted to make you – no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, you can't take anybody lightly in the NFL. Everybody's good. This Bills team just seems so hungry. People talk about what they learned from that 13 seconds last year. I think they're just out to bury people this year. Like, if they get the opportunity, the foot doesn't come off the gas. It does have a little – okay, so not quite yet. Maybe I will after a few more games. But I think the team that embodies that – were, were the 2007 Patriots with Brady and Moss. And uh, I, the game that I covered uh, when I was with the Palm Beach Post down in Florida, Randy Moss going up for catches contested by two, sometimes three guys, and not only catching the ball, but the defensive backs guarding him would be injured on the play. I mean, it was comical, like cartoonish dominance. And I maybe not there yet for the Bills, but with yeah and they put they do pull the plug a little bit you know josh allen has given way late in games you know keenum you know coming in and playing an entire quarter against pittsburgh for instance um he played a quarter and a half against tennessee right right see now belichick wouldn't wouldn't have done that brady's uh, playing all 60 minutes except for maybe the the final series and he sends out whoever the backup was to kneel it out um gotcha. but um, yeah, the Patriots were big FU energy that year. And I think the Bills are, you're right, they're showing that. Uh, I just want to mention, and again, this is from your playing days. And I've always, always made it clear when talking to you that I have no idea what I'm looking at when it comes to offensive line play or defensive line play, which is why I always went to you for explanations and, and Kyle after the games. But it is reminiscent in reverse watching these games on Sunday. I would go from the one o'clock games because you guys always played at one o'clock on Sunday. I'd be working through the four o'clock games. And finally, we'd get together for beers and watch as much as of the Sunday night game as we could. Always a marquee matchup or usually a marquee matchup. And I would week after week say, this is what it's supposed to look like. Now, I'm not mm -hmm. talking about line play, but I'm talking about explosive plays, the talent, the guy, the skill positions. I'd say this is what now it's the other way around. Now I'm getting that with covering the Bills games. And then when it comes time for me to watch whatever game is on primetime, I'm getting the friggin' Broncos and Colts or whatever. And I'm like, what is this I'm watching? It's know, a total I, flip. I know. And I, I hate working primetime games. Like the Sunday at one games are so much fun to me. I have my routine I like on Sundays. And if it's on the road, I can get home that night. Or if it's in Buffalo, I can still go watch Sunday night football at Elio DePaulo's and get dinner. Like, I like that schedule, but man, the, the primetime slate this year just feels awful. And I, and I know like you have, all teams have to get a Thursday night game and you're going to get some bad matchups. It's just been unfortunate. Some of the product that's been out there. Yeah. And I think that it's making the bills, how good the bills are, are making it feel that much worse probably to us when you get to watch the bills all the time and really absorb what they do. And by comparison, maybe if you live in Pittsburgh, the brand of football doesn't seem as, as off on prime time because your brand of football's shit too. But anyway, Eric Wood, he wrote a book, Tackle What's Next. 
own your story, stack wins, achieve your goals in business and life. It is available wherever books are sold. Uh, it's been on the shelf for a couple of weeks now. And um, you, you're happy with it? You happy with the experience? I am. Um, I talked to a, a few others that wrote books and asked them if right before it released, if you, if, if you thought it stunk. And they all said yes. Like there's you, you're never going to read a book five times in a row through the editing process and all that. There's no cliffhangers because you know the story. This is a lot of my story and experiences and supplemented from podcast guests and everything else. And so, and then over the period, or like it's never going to feel complete and finished. And then it's just, you have to turn it in. And so all that being said, it's been really well received. I've appreciated all the feedback people have given me. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy I got it done. And um, I don't know that there's another one coming down the line anytime soon. But if it happens, I'll, I'll, I'll know a lot more the next time around. I'm a professional writer. And the idea of writing a book is intimidating to me. And I, some of it has to do with the fact that I have zero interest in writing during my free time, because that's what I do for work. So there's part right. of that, but also just the, the grueling aspect of how long it's going to take like you say, 18 months, uh, the idea of getting started on something that you're not going to see a finished product for a year and a half is pretty daunting. I could definitely see that, especially with you constantly turning things in. But kind of my point about feeling like it stinks, it's like you may feel that way right before you submit, but it's you got another opportunity to, to go at it. You know, your next best piece is always coming down the line. Like, there's no new piece coming for me that's here true. in a week. That's true. Like if this stinks, it's, it's over. It's very permanent when it can be on a shelf as it is over your right shoulder right now, there's a permanence there. And that's where, and that's where when there was times where I may have felt like I could go outside my values and tell a story that would, you know, get some more purchases or whatever it be. It's like, okay, well, regardless hopefully one my one day my grandkids and great grandkids read this and i don't need anything outside of our kind of guardrails in there you didn't have to get to a point where you asked a former teammate or coach hey is it okay if i tell this story exactly never had to do that once well that's a shame that's that's better for podcast <laughs> that's right Jonah, anything else you want to talk to your doppelganger about before we sign off? I would like Eric's insight on this. If when I do get mistaken for being Eric Wood around town in the hometown I've lived in for 40 years, and it's happening more and more often these days, should I be taking that as a compliment? I, I hope so. I hope you do. If, if you don't, I would either suggest cutting the hair um, maybe lose the beard at this point now that I can finally grow one or a semblance of one. It's tough for Jonah to cut the hair. And I'll say this, I, we haven't discussed it, but I think this is part of it. Women, strange women will come up to him and just run their fingers through his hair. Like they just want to check yeah. it out. And if I had that, I don't think I'd want to forfeit it. That's part so. of it. Eric had the longer hair points in his career. What I haven't figured out is if people are telling me I look like this media superstar trim and fit version of Eric Wood, or if I look like uh, Eric when he was in the middle of his career, because that's two different doppelgangers. I think you're probably closer to Eric's playing weight than Eric is. 
Mm, how tall are you, Jonah? Five uh, eleven. Yeah, you're you're closer to my weight now than my playing weight. I guarantee it. <laughs> if you were Eric, six, thanks five, for this. Then yes, you're six five. You're six five. Okay, well, I'm six. Maybe four. we would go by. Maybe we should talk BMI. Right, we're going down a bad rabbit hole right now. <laughs> uh, Eric, thanks for this. Uh, Jonah pleasure. and I are going to stick around uh, through a break and uh, talk a little Sabres and UB football, uh, but we're going to cut you loose. Uh, you've done your job here. You've sold some books, hopefully, and uh, I, we appreciate your time. Yep, likewise. I owe you guys a beer. Come Buffalo here soon. Oh, we should plug Eric's beer. I, I got to try it a couple of weeks ago, sample it. It's very good. Blonde Ale. Oh, is, it ava- is that available or was that a temporary thing? Do you want to plug no, your it, beer? It, yeah, it's available at Resurgence. All the proceeds go to the Evan Wood Fund, which was formerly the Eric Wood Foundation. So it, it, all the proceeds go back to um, helping children and their families at Oshot Children's Hospital. Fantastic. Well, Jonah, thanks for mentioning that. I was derelict uh, in not uh, bringing that up. How did the events go out at Resurgence? It was unbelievable. Uh, the beer launch was great. It was fun connecting with people. And then Flights and bites year after year just sets record-breaking numbers, and I'm not even a player on the team anymore, which just blows me away, the fan support, um, the public support. But Do you think it might have something to do with Josh Allen being in attendance? Yeah, but like last year he was supposed to come, and he couldn't because of COVID regulations and all that. And so we never promise any of that. Like Josh coming this year, no one was promised that any current players would be there, you know. They're just people who just love Eric Wood. Well, they're just generous. I mean, yeah, I I say this all the time at the events. I'm like, people in Buffalo, I feel like, can be generous to a fault. Like, you're like, no, please don't, don't donate that much. And they're like, no, no, I want to. And I'm like, that means the world to me, but I don't want you to put yourself in a compromising position. And then I always say, if at the end of my life someone says Eric Wood was generous to a fault, like, that would be a great thing. That'd be a great thing to be known by. And so I, I'm always, I'm, I'm literally blown away to tears at each and every event when I see everyone that comes out. And each year we kind of limit the numbers that can come. We've moved to smaller venues and it still raises more money because people are so stinking generous. I will well, say I'm that happy for you. sold out when Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback. So I don't think it has all that much to do with Josh Allen. <laughs> That's true. I, I, re, I attended those events. I couldn't make it this year because it was sold out. I, I waited too long to buy a ticket and I I'll couldn't, look. I couldn't, I didn't know anybody there to get me in the back door. Well, we'll work on it for next year. Uh, <laughs> Eric, thanks guys. for this. Congratulations yeah, on the book also, and good luck with sales. And uh, we'll see you at the stadium. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks guys. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsource solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach 
can work for you. Welcome back to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. Jonah Bronstein, the Buffalo Sabres continue to win since our last podcast. They chalked up another one, five to one, a no doubter at Vancouver. Now, Vancouver looked pretty awful, but still, for the Sabres to go on this West Coast trip and sweep it so far, uh, they can, um, you know, that's the Western Canada swing. Now they're down in Seattle. Uh, to play the Kraken tonight at 10 p.m. Um, the Sabres are really impressive. Craig Anderson at 41 years old keeps winning. Eric Comrie is playing well so far. Rasmus Dahlin, a five-game goal streak to start the season, which is also a record for a Sabres defenseman at any point in the season. Um, very impressive. A lot of fun. Um, your thoughts. Well, I would agree. Very impressive and a lot of fun is a great way to put it because ab above from all the wins and the record and the accomplishments that, you know, if they win tonight, it'll be four straight road wins to start the season for the first time in 11 years. Uh, that's basically the duration of the playoff drought almost. Um, they, we saw this last year a little bit, especially toward the end, but what you're definitely seeing regardless of how many wins and how many points they end up with at the end, this is going to be an exciting team to watch, a team that the fans can be uh, interested in and proud to be a fan of, not staying away from the team as they did at various points in the last couple seasons, and that it's going to be a competitive team that's in it to compete for a playoff spot all season long, whether they actually make it or not. That a lot of players are coming into their own, the youngest lineup in the league, but they're playing with confidence, and they seem like if they're not the fully realized versions of themselves, a lot of these players are getting very close to that. All of that said, if you dive a little deep into the numbers, they're number one in the league in shooting percentage. They're number two in the league in save percentage. Probably both of those numbers are unsustainable. If you look at some of the analytical numbers, the Corsi percentage and things like that, they're not near the top of the league. So there probably is a little bit of a coming back to earth moment coming for this team. It could happen tonight. They could be a little bit road weary in the fourth game of the trip. It could happen when they start playing some of these tougher teams in the Eastern Conference or the Atlantic Division. And it could be a situation where the Sabres are really good this year and, and approach maybe 100 points and still miss the playoffs because of how good the East is and how good their division is. And maybe if some injuries or some lull in the play occurs later on, at this point they have the best per game goal differential in the league. I don't know how much longer they're going to be the best team in the NHL, but as long as it lasts, Sabres fans can enjoy the ride, especially the ones staying up late to watch these after-dark games. Yeah, they're scoring a lot. Five goals against Ottawa, four against – or I'm sorry, three against Florida, four against Edmonton, six against Calgary, five against Vancouver. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the crowd looks uh, for these upcoming home games. Um, Montreal uh, coming up next and the Canadians fans uh, always come down and the borders open with no restrictions. So you can probably expect to see a lot of Canadians fans in attendance for that. But how close do you think we are? And I'm not saying it's going to happen on a regular basis, but how close do you think we are if this keeps up to seeing a full house at some point? I mean, that remains to be seen. I, I don't think that they sold all of the season ticket packages. And I think that has a lot to do with the attendance factors, not just actual season ticket holders going to the games, but people that bought tickets to turn around and sell them on the secondary market. It seems like those numbers are lower this year than they were 
pre-pandemic, but playing a team like Montreal with Canadian fans that will travel over the border to watch their own team will probably juice the house a little bit. And it'll be interesting to see if the Sabres Next come in. Opponents, just let me lay it out here so that way people can maybe, you know, maybe, you know, we got Montreal on – let me uh, get sense here of where we are, of what days are what uh, dates. Uh, Montreal on Thursday, Chicago Blackhawks on Saturday. Patrick Kane. Detroit Red Wings on Monday. And then the Pittsburgh Penguins um, on that following Wednesday. So you have three original six teams and the Pittsburgh Penguins. You have some star power. Uh, you know, you have Sidney Crosby, Patrick Kane, the hometown kid, all that type of stuff. Um, could uh, could do well at the at the box office. And four opponents that should draw some of their own fans. But it'll be interesting to see, even if it's not a full house, but maybe compared to what it was for that second game against Florida and just the buzz in general, if the Sabres being on this winning streak and being hot near the top of the standings and Rasmus Dahlin being the NHL's first star for the week, does that just lead to an increase in fan interest and ticket sales? And then I'd ask you, where do you think we are at this point in the, the old notion that the Sabres season really doesn't begin until the Bills season ends and how much is Bills mania affecting? Yeah, there's the that. You're right. There's some of that. I think that the fact that these games are taking place uh, during the Bills' bye week is helpful because normally these West Coast games get lost, totally lost. Uh, and the fact that they're playing well, if the Bills had a game this past Sunday, then I think the Sabres are even more buried by the avalanche of Bills news and, and euphoria uh, but the fact that it's been a week off from Bill's football has allowed people to kind of, uh, you know, digest uh, what the Sabres have been able to do. Maybe you're not staying up late to watch the games, but it's given uh, the Sabres a lot of time on local sports talk radio um, and just able to learn what these guys are doing. I think that if the Bills are playing, uh, does anybody – know that uh, Alex Tuck has a career-high goal streak going right now? Maybe not. I mean, they may think, well, Tuck's playing well, but they don't know the, 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 the statistics that are pretty cool going around uh, with these guys. They've won uh, their first three road games for the first time in a decade. Um, yeah, I, I, think that, I think that helps, but you're right. Uh, I, people won't truly embrace or fully embrace uh, whatever the Sabres are doing until uh, the Bills run is over for sure. And if this season has a different or opposite trajectory of last season where the Sabres are really good and really hot for the first couple of months while the Bills are playing and maybe don't finish as well when people turn their attention, how will that change the feelings around the franchise and the expectations? Because I think the Sabres are getting pretty close to where uh, if they keep winning games and the expectations are that they're going to have a winning season to make the playoffs. And if they stumble and don't make the playoffs, how much fan angst will there be by this playoff drought extending where coming into the season, a lot of people didn't expect that it would be broken this year. So also during the bills bye week, a huge game at the university of Buffalo, um, Toledo comes to town and UB with a dramatic come from behind victory. What did the bills being on the bye week, uh, mean to the gate, uh, out in Amherst? It didn't seem to mean much. I mean, it should have, it was, believe that it would help, especially on a good weather day 
a Bills bye week. The Sabres were on the road. There was no really other major event going on other than Jurassic World down at the arena that could have drawn fan interest away. And the announced crowd was 14,000-something. That was the paid attendance. The actual crowd was uh, somewhat less than that. And this was the most anticipated home. When you say somewhat less. It's hard to guess in that place because it's so spread out. But also where we're in the press box, it's a little hard to see certain sections on our side. But my guess would be half of that. If okay. not, it was a very light crowd for the uh, stakes of the game. The quality the weather of the was opponent, nice. As good as UB had been, how much they were promoting the game with the throwback logo on the helmets and things like that. It was expected not to be a full crowd, not a sellout, but to be a bigger crowd than it would be if a lot of those circumstances weren't in play. A bigger crowd than you'd expect on an average UB weekend. And it kind of seemed like an average crowd. It wasn't the student turnout was there, but it wasn't as large as I've seen in other games. Um, so I think I don't want to, it was a disappointing crowd in the sense that I think UB was hoping to get a bigger crowd. And it was disappointing just from the local sports standpoint of what is it going to take for local fans to get interested in this UB team. And I, I tweeted out and I got a lot of responses about the stadium and the, the game experience and, and even the cost of tickets. Not being I think also at, not getting off to an 0-3 start. Well, but they were on a four-game winning streak, and this now is their five, fifth win in a row. Yeah, but you know so how it is. Though, attention to that. What your first impressions are so, is that, yeah, we'll keep checking in on UB to see if they dig themselves out of this hole, but first impressions were pretty negative for three games. And I think fans, even if whether you're an alum, a diehard or whatever, I think there was probably a tendency to give up on them. I suppose there could have been fans that went to that first game against Holy Cross and there was a loss and they sort of rode off coming back to a game. But, you know, and it's a challenge. I know that the people that work at UB and, and have worked at UB over the years in the ticket promotion office and in the athletic department have tried a lot of different ways to get fans to attend games and it hasn't always worked. It, it does seem to be a difficult situation and I don't know what the answer is there. But from an on-field product standpoint, they couldn't have had a better opportunity this week. And the weather and the Bills not being in competition, uh, I was expecting a bigger crowd. There was a lot of hype and anticipation for the game, but that didn't seem to translate. You know, it was an easy drive into the stadium. It was an easy drive out of the stadium. It just didn't seem like a big event in the way that I thought maybe it would have been. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, what's the outlook, though, for UB the rest of the way? with their strength of schedule and uh, being on this four-game win streak? Well, it's looking really good for them. They only have MAC game remaining, and they're undefeated in the MAC, and they beat what many would think at this point was the best team in the MAC. So now UB appears to be the front runners in the MAC. I don't know if that means they're going to run the table and win every game. And they go to Ohio next Tuesday in a midweek matching game where the home teams tend to have a bit of an advantage in those wild and wooly, anything-can-happen type scenarios. <laughs> Uh, and if UB loses that game, they'll be behind Ohio in the MAC standings without MAC East standings without the tiebreaker. So as good as this season has gone, one loss could shift the trajectory a little bit. But it really does look like UB is going to win uh, two or three at least of the remaining games and have a winning record and be bowl eligible. And maybe they lose this game to Ohio, but I, I think they're in a very good position to uh, win the division and go to the MAC championship game and. People were tweeting at me or I was seeing conversations when they were 0-3 that 
uh, UB had hired the wrong coach and maybe needed to make a change with Mo Linguist. Now we're hearing a lot more chatter about how long it is before he gets uh, moved on to another job. And it's kind of interesting how that conversation can change in a matter of four or five weeks. But I think there's validity to that, that if, if UB does win, run the table, if they do get to nine, 10 wins and a bowl game, I think you're going to hear Maurice Linguist's name at least mentioned as a rising coaching candidate for other schools. All right, Joan, anything else you think we should get to before we wrap this up? No, unless you want to dive into the uh, delinquent behavior, traffic hazards of people putting signs up on Hurdle Avenue and changing the street signs. I don't know how you feel about that. Not one of your favorite pastimes? Well, I just think it's uh, not the best way to express your fandom. Well, on the scale of uh, going out to the airport after a regular season loss uh, ver- uh, to uh, smashing through tables, if that's the scale, where, where does it fall? Is it in between? Is it where? Well, it's certainly less than that, but it falls into the same category, I would say. My problem is not what people Is it do. similar to a butt chug? Uh it's probably less than a butt chug, but the point isn't what fans, individual fans, the decisions they make, especially when they're drunk. It's the way we encourage it in this belief that now uh, Bill's fandom is an excuse to break the law. And that's what was said about this Hurdle Avenue thing, even though it does violate traffic laws, uh, you know, public laws that, but it's okay because it's all in the name of Bill's fandom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think is ridiculous. Well, it's maybe similar to getting getting pulled over for speeding and saying, I'm on my way to the game, you know, maybe, or uh, maybe you get off uh, or a ticket uh, because uh, you're wearing a Bills jersey or something. Does that work? I don't, I don't know. I'm a, I would never tell a police officer that I, I'm, a, I'm on my way to the game to work, and then it turns into a conversation about being a journalist, and then I get four tickets. I think it depends on what type of journalist you are. I know police reporters that can get out of tickets with their silver tongues. Well, Jonah, it's been a good chat. We'll come back later in the week, uh, hopefully with a discussion uh, uh, with uh, athletic Sabres reporter, Matthew Fairburn. Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants.